Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so before we get into this week's story, I've had a book come out this week. It's my new one, Hamlet is Not Okay. That's the title. I'm super proud and excited about this one. It's the book I wrote during COVID because I had extra time because I wasn't traveling. So um, it was totally different to anything I've ever written before. Uh, it's for slightly older children, sort of 10, 11 plus, And it's, it's got lots of Shakespeare in it. I basically, I had this idea about novelizing uh, the play Hamlet, the Shakespeare play Hamlet. And that was sort of the starting point of the idea, but it's kind of not what I ended up doing. I ended up writing a story sort of based on my own 15-year-old self because I had some struggles when I was about 15 with writing and focusing on getting my homework done. Uh, so I thought, what if you took a character like that, a 15-year-old girl from you know from now, and uh, she's struggling with English, so she gets a, a tutor to help her with her schoolwork, and when she starts reading Hamlet, he makes her read it out loud, she gets sucked into the play, like she becomes part of the world. She goes into the world of Hamlet and meets Hamlet and starts talking to him. And she's shocked by the, the by his behavior and, you know, overwhelmed because he's just this avalanche of Shakespearean language that's so much to process. So she starts asking him, you know, about why he's behaving the way he is. And then ultimately she starts trying to fix up his behavior and try and improve the plot because by modern standards, a lot of the things he's doing are not acceptable. So it's an exploration of that play and and uh, the importance of literature and books and stuff like that. So anyway, I have written that book. Uh, it's a, It means a lot to me. I would love it if you could go out and buy a copy. It's also coming out on audiobook. So obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you like listening to stories. So it's being launched simultaneously as a physical book and an audiobook. So it's called Hamlet is Not Okay. Uh, the book is available in um, bookshops throughout Australia. It'll be coming out in New Zealand soon. And for anybody outside of Australia and New Zealand, you'll be able to get it and the audiobook as well on any um, big online international bookseller. Okay. And just so you know, like normally when I have a book come out, I read a couple of chapters um, for the podcast as a podcast episode. Uh, I haven't done this that this time because, as I say, it's for slightly older children. I know some of the kids listening to this podcast are five, six, seven years old, and maybe it won't appeal to them quite so much. And also maybe their parents want to have a think about whether they want them to listen to something about um, Hamlet. So I I've recorded it instead as a bonus episode. So if you think you're interested, you can check that out. That's completely free. Um, it'll, you know, be here, probably download automatically if you're subscribed to this uh, podcast. And, um, if you're a bit younger, just run it by your mum and dad, see if they think it's okay for you to listen to it. And if you don't want to listen to it, that's fine because I am now going to launch into reading to you the pesky kids. We'll continue on because that's what we've been doing for a few weeks now. So I'm going to read to you a couple of chapters from the pesky kids five, the final mission, and we are up to chapter 17, Showdown. 
That night at home, the gloves came off. Where is she? demanded April. Who? asked Dad in alarm. He had no idea who April was talking about. But she had said she, and there wasn't a woman in Dad's life he wasn't terrified of. Your ex-wife, snapped April. Oh, said Dad. Your mother? How many ex-wives have you got? asked April. Only one, conceded Dad. I think. So much of his life had been nothing more than a cover story, so he couldn't be entirely sure. Plus, he had almost married Ingrid, so she felt a bit like an ex too. She just turned up at school today, yelled April. She got a job as a science teacher. For April, this was apparently more horrifying than having a mother who was an international espionage operative. Who does she think she is? Um, said Dad, a scientist? Don't defend her, snapped April. Did she bring Miss Quinn here, asked Finn. He was breathless. He spent the first two minutes since he'd got home running through every room in the house, checking all the closets and storage spaces. Pumpkin was dragging from his sock. The small dog always got overexcited when people started running around. What? asked Dad. Mum, said Finn. Did she kidnap Miss Quinn and bring her here? Is she in the basement? The house doesn't have a basement, said Dad. Are you sure? asked Finn. Perhaps Mum had one built when you were out one day. I never go out, said Dad. I wouldn't put it past it a snake earth moving equipment in here somehow, said Finn, glancing about looking for possible places where their mother could have installed a hidden trapdoor. Suddenly, Mum stepped into the room. Finn yelped with fear. Pumpkin let go of Finn and barked with excitement. Where did you come from, asked April. We didn't hear the front door open. I'm a spy, said Mum. Moving about undetected is what I do. Well, we've got a bone to pick with you about that, said April. What did you do with Miss Quinn? Who? asked Mum. Ah, science teacher, Miss Quinn, said April. She was lovely, said Finn. She didn't deserve to die. I didn't do anything to her, said Mum. Really, said April. She just happened to have an accident. April made air quotes with her fingers. You expect us to believe that? It's true, said Mum. There's no point you even saying that, said Finn. It doesn't make us any more likely to believe you. It's one thing for you to disappear terrorists or international criminals, said April. But Ms Quinn was just a small town science teacher. Sure, she smelled like boiled cabbage. She had a strange way of pronouncing the word water and she had a weird hang-up about not letting dogs in the classroom. But she didn't deserve to get taken out by you. I really, really did not do anything to the woman, said Mum, starting to get peeved. Apparently, she had some kind of accident water skiing on the weekend. A partially submerged log or something. She had to go up to the city to see a specialist and get knee surgery. This is Karawong, exclaimed April. There is nowhere to go water skiing. The river is really just a creek, and we've been in drought for so long the dams are too low. It would be mud skiing. That's what I was told, said Mum. She hurt herself water skiing. Whatever, said April. You can say whatever you like. We've got no reason for believing a word that comes out of your mouth. I didn't do anything to your science teacher, said Mum, her volume getting louder. Yeah, Mum, said Finn. But the thing is, that's what you'd say if you had. You're the boy who cried wolf, said Dad. Except you'd never cry wolf, said April. You'd choke the wolf out and ship it off to a safe house in an undisclosed location. Well, I'm going to find out the truth. Well, that's the end of chapter 17. Let's keep going. Here's chapter 18. The Sack. 
April was standing outside the CWA offices in the rain, first thing the following morning, waiting for someone to arrive and open the front door. She was going to be late for school if someone didn't show up soon. The first bell rang in 17 minutes. That didn't leave her much time to grab the sack, destroy the contents and run over to school for roll call. Luckily, at that moment, President Sweet's mobility scooter came around the corner. Pumpkin rushed forward to pee on it. About time, called April. It says on the door the office is open from nine o'clock. It's 8.54, said President Sweet. Well, that's a pretty sloppy attitude if you think it's okay to just slide in at the last moment, said April. President Sweet stepped out from her mobility scooter and used a key to open the front door. Would you like to come in, she asked graciously. No, I want to stand in the rain until I get pneumonia, said April sarcastically. Of course I want to come in. She followed President Sweet inside. April was never one for observing the preliminaries of conversational etiquette, so she just dove straight in. I want the sack with the nominations for Potato Princess, said April. I want my name taken out. I don't want anything to do with this ridiculous, sexist, outdated competition. It's too late. Your name has already been destroyed, said President Sweet. It has, said April. Yes, that's the way it's always done. The nominations are posted in the local paper and the original slips they were written on are composted, said President Sweet. This year, Mrs Bellamy popped them in her worm farm. Her worms are very efficient. You've probably been digested by now. Well, then forget the slip, said April. I want my name taken off the list. Oh, it can't be done, said President Sweet. A nominee can't withdraw. But that's outrageous, protested April. It's really got nothing to do with you now, said President Sweet. It's up to the citizens of Currawong. The ballot papers have already been printed. They'll vote on Friday. It doesn't matter what you do or say or demand. They will be judging you and all the other nominees. But surely it's some sort of violation of my privacy to force me to participate in an event when I don't want a bar of it and that I morally object to for ethical reasons, said April. This is a small town, said President Sweet. There is no privacy and no one cares about ethics. They care about potatoes and princesses and come Saturday, they're going to get both. What if I don't turn up to the parade, asked April. To be honest, said President Sweet, probably no one would notice. April must have looked deflated because President Sweet took pity on her. She opened her handbag and took out a familiar brown lump. Here, have a scone. Now hurry along or you'll be late for school. All right, that's the end of that chapter. Let's do one more. Chapter 19, The First Training Session. Later that day, Joe was standing in the middle of the school oval with four other hapless volunteers. Um, welcome to the first training session, stumbled Joe. As captain of the team, Joe had no say in who his teammates were. Mr Popov had made those decisions for him. His team consisted of Kieran, Animesh, Simon Pomfries, an incredibly large year 10 boy, and Wendy de Groot, a year 9 girl with very muscly, although extremely short, legs. Is this everyone? Duh, of course not, said Kieran. We need six players. 
Where's your sister? demanded Mr. Popov. He was striding towards them from his office on the far side of the field. Like most PE teachers, he had an incredibly loud yelling voice, and his bellow could be heard clearly. Ah, said Joe. He had no idea where April was, which he was actually rather relieved about. It was much more relaxing not knowing what trouble April was getting into. She agreed to be in the team, said Mr. Popov, now only 20 metres away and bearing down on them. Really, said Joe? Usually April never agreed to anything. Even if it was something she wanted to do, she always avoided participation as a point of principle. Maybe April got a detention. Not April, snapped Mr. Popov. Your other sister, Loretta, she agreed to be in this team. She fits strong and ruthless. She our star player. Hey, said Kieran, what are we, chopped liver? Mr. Popov looked Kieran up and down. Next to her, yes. Wendy shrugged. She is pretty good. She hit me in the nose with a potato last year. It knocked me out cold. I have absolutely no memory of the rest of the match, all the potato pageant afterwards, and I've seen photos so I know I was there. I'm glad she's on our side this year, said Animesh. Last year I forgot to wear a groin guard, and it's like she knew. Every potato she threw at me homed in on that area. No matter, said Mr Popov. She is good already. We train without her today. He dropped two large sacks at his feet. From the distinctive rolling, thudding sound as they hit the ground, the sacks were evidently filled with potatoes. We have just a few days to get you up to speed, said Mr. Popov. You need to learn all the skills to survive the game of potato. Don't you mean to win the game of potatoes? asked Joe. Mr. Popov made a scoffing noise. Ha! You stand no chance of winning against Daisy Oren's daughter. First challenge for you is being good enough to survive with all your limbs still attached. Training go well, maybe we think about winning later. Joe gulped. What had he got himself into now? It was bad enough that Currawong High held all their lawn bowls' expectations in him. Now they wanted him to captain a sure-to-lose potato team at a public event watched by the whole town. And apparently, there was a very good chance he would get injured. Joe just hoped if he was injured, it would be in the first five minutes of the game. Although that would let the rest of the team down. Perhaps they'd all get injured. They could all stop at once. Um, said Simon. Like Joe, Simon was not good with words. What are the rules? I've never played capture the potato. Kieran sniggered. <laughs> and you call yourself a Currawongian. No, I don't, said Simon. I'm from Bilgong. We never played there. You think you're so good with your canola fields, don't you? Accused Kieran. Well, we grow real vegetables here and we know how to play with them. You know, when you say things like that, you sound like an idiot, right? Asked Simon. No rules for you, said Mr. Popov dismissively. You're not ready for rules. First you learn the skills, and today you learn the most important skill. Mr. Popov opened one of his sacks, reached in and picked out a potato. Today you practice the skill of not getting hit by a potato. Huh? said Joe. Like this, said Mr. Popov. He threw the potato at Joe, hitting him in the chest. Ow, said Joe. That what not to do, said Mr. Popov. He reached into the sack and pulled out another potato and straightened up. Why are you all still standing here? You're practicing how to not get hit. Run! Everyone finally realized what was going on. The students took off running in every direction. Mr. Popov pelted them with potatoes as they fled. It was a miserable two-hour training session. After a while, Joe did get the hang of not being hit. The trick was to watch as he ran away so you could dodge the flying tubers. But there was no reprieve. Once everyone could handle Mr. Popov throwing spuds at them, he went to the equipment shed and brought out the cricket bowling machines. He loaded the potatoes into them, pointed them at the students, and set them all off at once. 
Now the team was being hailed with potatoes from all directions. They were still fairly easy to avoid, but only if you kept constantly in motion, watching and responding to Mr Popov's adjustments of trajectory. It was exhausting. By the end of the training session, Joe's legs felt like rubber, rubber that had been run over by a truck and stomped on by someone really angry. Sweat was pouring off him. He was struggling so hard to breathe, he thought his lungs might be sweating too. Not too bad, said Mr Popov, standing over his collapsed team. Tomorrow, after school, we have another training session. The entire team groaned. I think my internal organs have gone into shutdown, said Animesh. I don't care, said Mr Popov. You go to the hospital if you like now, but you be here tomorrow after school, or I put you in hospital. I know English is your second language, Mr Popov, said Wendy, but I'm pretty sure in any language that sentence doesn't make sense. Tomorrow you be here, said Mr Popov. Then we work on new skill. You work on hiding. Joe thought this sounded a lot better than the not-getting-hit training session they'd just had. How do we train for that, asked Kieran. You hide, said Mr Popov. That definitely sounded better. Joe was good at hiding. He'd had a lot of practice from avoiding Daisy, Odin's daughter. And when I find you, said Mr Popov, I belt you with the potatoes. The entire team groaned. Mr Popov blew his whistle. He enjoyed blowing his whistle almost as much as he enjoyed yelling. They were the two favourite things about his job. Right, go home now and eat, said Mr. Popov. Fuel yourself for tomorrow. The team just started to turn away when they found themselves being pelted with potatoes again. Hey, what's that for, asked Kieran. You can eat those, said Mr. Popov. Potatoes are a good source of carbohydrates. All right, well, that's the end of Chapter 19, so let's leave it there for now. And if you're interested, don't forget to check out the bonus episode with the recording from Hamlet is Not Okay. Okay, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.